Welcome to Infinity War and Beyond, the podcast where we stumble through the MCU by watching one Marvel Studios film each week until we reach the mega epic blockbuster that is Avengers Infinity War. I'm Billy, and I will be your host this week as we look at Thor. As always, joining me is my co-host, Christoph. Hey, all. How you you going, Billy? Good. How you been since we uh, last recorded? What, all of, like, 30 minutes ago? Yes. Again, a little peek behind the curtain. Sometimes we do these back to back, as we are today. Yes. Um, look, look, I'm I'm doing good. I'm keen to talk about Thor. I feel like there's a lot to sort of talk about with this film. Yes. No. Look, I mean, I really enjoyed it, and I noticed it this time around. That yes, I I still enjoy it. I love it. I love Thor. Re- okay. So, do you think it's one of the better, like, out of Phase One? Where do you think it stands? Oh, it's one of the better ones. Okay. So you reckon like better than obviously better than Iron Man two then in your opinion? Um, okay, Phase one does that include Avengers? Yeah, because Avengers okay. is the end of Phase one. Okay, so Avengers. Yep. Um, Iron Man two. Sorry, not Iron Man two. Iron Man one. Uh, Iron Man. Yep. Thor. Yep. Cap. Mm-hmm. Iron Man two. Hulk. <laughs> of course, well, Hulk has to be at the bottom. Yes. You know what? I think my ranking would be more or less the same at at time of at time of recording. I mean when I rewatch Captain America and Avengers we'll it could see. change, but I I feel like it's a pretty solid order and I think a lot of people would agree with that order, especially cuz I tried to rewatch Captain America Super Soldier a couple of years back and from memory it did not hold up very well. Mm-hmm. So I'm we'll be doing that one next, so I'll be interested to see how I feel about it on the third viewing or Super Soldier or the, Super Soldier. Super Soldier is the first one. Captain first America. Avenger is the first oh, one. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, you're confusing it with Winter oh, Soldier. Oh, God. Now I'm going to look like an idiot on the internet, Billy. Fuck. Um, sorry, Captain America, the first not Avenger. not for you at all. Not a, well, usually I only look like an idiot in real life, so I'm just expanding to a new realm. Oh. Um, yes, so what were, you like, what were your initial thoughts on the film? I enjoyed it, uh, more or less. I... Definitely not as much as I had before. I mean, time and my cynicism have both done a bit of a number on this film, and I definitely enjoyed it more than Iron Man Two. What? So you don't think it's brilliant, as it says on the cover of on the, the pull quote? Uh, the pull quote of the uh, the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray. What's Four it? stars. Brilliant. The sun. Another pull quote it has here is an enjoyable, action-packed ride. Enjoyable to me just sounds like a really mild descriptive word. Like it's passable. Like they they weren't actively unenjoying the experience. Yes. Look, I mean, to me, it just feels like, you know, whimsical sort of fantasy slash Robin Hood-ish. Like, I don't know. It makes me, like, I really enjoy... I don't know. I just... It's interesting that you bring up fantasy, and I'll go a little bit more about it in pickups, but to me, this seemed like the opposite. It seemed like a fantasy film desperately trying to be a sci-fi film. And I'm not going to elaborate on that too much now. Okay. Well, look, let's have a look at the trailer. And then come back after that. Easy. So we found it. Jane, I think you want to see this. Threaten me, Thor was so puny. What? He was freaking me out. Where did he come from? Name? 
He said it was Thor? For a crazy homeless person, he's pretty cut. How'd you get inside that cloud? Also, how could you eat an entire box of Pop-Tarts and still be this hungry? Just drink, I like it. Another! This is going on Facebook, smile. Your ancestors called it magic, and you call it science. Well, I come from a place where they're one and the same. But who are you, really? You'll see soon enough. God, I hope you're not crazy. Will you swear to guard the lives of the innocent and preserve the peace? I swear. I will destroy their kind. You can't kill an entire race and die with them. All right, and we'll just talk about the context of the film. So it was directed by Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, are you? How familiar are you with him? I have seen some of the films he's directed, and also um, I enjoy him as an actor as well. I, f- I feel like bringing him to the film gave it a like. You might disagree with me on this, like sort of not Broadway, but Shakespearean feel to it. No, I, I was about to say actually, uh, my familiarity with Branagh was from high school watching his uh, Shakespeare stuff. Yeah. So of course, um, and I feel like Othello, Thor, Othello, and Hamlet, and King like, Lear, and all that. I assume he's done pretty much every Shakespeare. And the other place I know him from is as Alistair Lockhart from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, and look, any, I feel like, I mean, Thor is the type of film that, and I feel like Thor is the type of franchise that needs that mm-hmm. sort well, of the, it needs the Shakespearean the, approach. Yeah, Shakespearean approach, but also the word, the the Waitiki approach as well. Yeah, which of course we got in um, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, it is interesting. What stuck out to me uh, in in this film is it's very different compared to the third Thor film. I feel like the second one I haven't seen in so long that I, I my memory shot on it. But I this just felt like a very different film to the new yeah. one. And they really do, you're right, uh, focus in on the, the sort of the Shakespearean sort of family drama elements. Yeah, look, I mean, there's various types of thought. Like, sorry, there's been various types of stories on thought. There's been, like, your fantasy-based stories. There's been your fantasy-slash-space-based stories. And there's been, like, Earth stuff as well. Yeah, well, more like straight-up superhero stuff. Yeah. I've... A lot of the times, I enjoy more of the fantasy and also the space-faring stuff that... Okay. ...stories from Thor. So that's why I enjoyed Thor and also Thor Ragnarok more than Thor The Dark World. Interesting. Um, well, let's quickly uh, take a look at the box office numbers show, Billy. Yes. So it had a budget of $150 million. Which is about on par with the first Iron Man film. Yes. But less than Iron Man 2. So clearly this was seen as a little bit of a risk. Yes. Um, we'll talk about that more in, um, later on because I want to talk about how long it took to get this made. But it made just under $450 million, which is not bad. Not at all. I mean, it's not Iron Man 1 numbers. Yeah. Uh, I think it's about probably, uh, I think roughly 80 million shy of what Iron Man 1 did. But I mean, I think a lot of people were worried that Thor could... Yeah, that Thor couldn't hold up a movie on his own. Yeah, I mean, I thought that. I was worried it was going to be crap. 
but I was pleasantly surprised. Mind you, I would say that Thor, the character of Thor, can't really hold up a movie on his own, but the supporting cast... Um, sort of boosts him up. 100%. And yeah. there was a really strong supporting cast in this film, such as uh, Natalie Portman as Jane Foster, Kat Dennings as the comic relief Darcy, who is um, Jane Foster's meow, like, meow. A- assistant. That's right, the meow meow joke. Um, and then uh, Stellan Skarsgård as Erica Selvig, the ambiguously um, European mentor of Jane. Yes. Because they never tell you where he's from, but it's assumed he's European. I'm assuming he's, like, from Iceland. Yeah, you, yeah, you, somewhere in some sort of Nordic country. Yes. Um, it was released in April 2011, so a year after Iron Man 2. Mm. Which, and like we mentioned last episode, in terms of the timeline, it takes place at the same time as Iron Man 2. Yes. Because, um, so... It, it, Something I do like, and, and it's similar to Iron Man, the first Iron Man um, film, in that it starts off not... Well, the initial part of it starts off, like, about... Not halfway through the film, maybe a third of the way film. I And then, like, how to get there. So, oh God, I'm Which gonna, is similar to Iron Man 1. Mm, I'm going to be uh, the biggest a piece of shit uh, writing nerd but it happens about a quarter of the way through at something in three acts plot structure which, which is as far as I know the most common uh, script writing structure used as something called the initiating event and the initiating event happens around near the end of the first act and what the initiating event does is it's the event that changes the trajectory of a character's life Yeah. Um, so in the case of the Thor movie it's him getting sent to Earth yeah. In case of the Iron Man movie, it's him getting captured by terrorists in a place that most definitely is in Afghanistan. Yeah. No, I like those type of stories where you see a tiny bit, it's like, okay, how do we get here? I, I think it works really well when they want to initially ground the film and mm. then sort of show you some of the more unbelievable elements. I mean, it wasn't so much in Iron Man because uh, he's just like a business tycoon that's pretty believable. But in here, I mean, you first sort of meet the characters on Earth and then you're seeing all this sci-fi fantasy stuff in Asgard, which is quite high concept and a lot to take in yeah um now it was quite well received it got about 77 percent on rotten tomatoes interesting yeah again i wouldn't have seen that coming that a thor film would do well and be well received Mm. i mean it did well much better than hulk freaking hulk we're gonna stop kicking down Thor. you know hulk you uh, might get angry you know what it's not our fault that hulk is a rubbish film yes Okay, now, how are you on your Thor knowledge? Yeah, uh, going into this movie, much like I was when I first saw Iron Man, um, didn't really know much about the character. The character didn't really have, didn't really resonate with me. What about you? Um, I mean, I knew Thor was part of the Avengers, but I never really read much Thor. There was an arc I did read. I can't remember what period it was, but... So, over over the years, his character... um, he either gets banished to Earth or he he gets stuck, not stuck, but shares the body shares his body with the mortal. Yeah, called which uh, is Donald usually, Blake, which will uh, which actually is a dre- is I'd say sort of Easter egged or mentioned in this film. Yeah. Um, now, I joined it during a period where I'm pretty sure it was. Maybe John Romita or John Romita Jr. who was on art. That's right. I remember John Romita Jr. did did a did a run. Yeah, I can't remember if that was 
mid two thousands or early two thousands, but it was it was to do with these dark gods which took over Asgard, and Thor got sort of destroyed by the destroyer armor, which is similar to this. Uh, yeah, he had to share the body with Dan- Donald Blake. So I read that arc, but other than that, the only time I got back onto it was the J. Michael Straczynski arc. Okay. For the comics, but which I, um. Strudinsky was involved in this film, funnily yeah, enough. Yeah, for the, the writing of the um, screenplay for this film. Not so much. Well, he's credited as a story. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure if that means they just brought him in and he sort of he sort of wrote like a, a treatment. Yeah, if he was involved in the script or if he just give them, gave them some plot points. I'm not quite sure what they mean by story, but he was involved. Yeah. And funnily enough, you've got the trades here of the Strudinsky run. And I was actually flipping through... And there's a, like a lot of the the imagery specifically in like his first issue on Thor is um is like the hammer Thor's hammer dropped in a crater and a whole bunch of rednecks gathering around to try and pick it up, which mm. is a scene in the film. So it's clear that his work has had a big influence. I feel like a lot of Shusinski run is going to hold all the things he set up is going to be held towards Thor further on, given that. In Ragnarok, not spoiler alert for a Ragnarok episode, but you know what? If the, you're listening to like a Marvel fan podcast, you know what's in all the films. I'm yeah, just gonna, um, I'm just gonna yeah, make like that bold assumption. Like uh, Asgard is no longer in yes, Asgard. destroyed. Is that something that happened in Straczynski's run? Oh uh, no, prior to that, he um, like prior oh, to this run, um, Siege. The, the, uh, no, prior to this run, uh, there was an actual Ragnarok, and it was like the end of the Asgard and the gods and everything. Um, and Thor sought to stop the cycle of Ragnarok. Um, so sort of like a death rebirth cycle. Yeah, he wanted to stop that. Now, um, that happened. And so here with this run, he's like, you know, the world still needs Thor. And he's not, he's sort of recreating, not recreating, but like bringing everything back. Like a soft and, sort of reboot? Yeah, or no, but like he's bringing everyone back like to life. Essentially, like he's brought Asgard back to life, but it's on Earth. Okay, is like that it's in Oklahoma? I think that's right. I yeah. remember I, when I read Fear, Itse- Fear itself. Part of the plot line was the fact that like Asgard was just hovering o- over Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, interesting. So to return it to the, I guess what we were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems it seems a bit like uh, Iron Man in the sense that the films have really propelled this character into notoriety, not the other way around. Like, no, no. I mean, if you've been a big fan of the um, comics, I'm sure a lot of people are excited. But the film has gathered more mm. um, interest into the comic. I guess my my question would be: Would do you reckon Thor on a lunchbox could sell? Thor, Thor's image on a lunch. Uh, I'm gonna re-say that. Do you think Thor being on a lunchbox could sell lunchboxes before the film came out? And I'm gonna take a guess and say probably not. Probably not. Whereas now, him, Iron Man, Captain America, all these characters, anything with their image on itself. Yes. And now we're gonna talk about pickups. Yeah. Uh, so if this is your first time listening, uh, pickups is when we sort of talk about things that stuck out to us on this viewing. Usually, in particular, they could be Easter eggs, they could be things we liked, things we hated. Yes. So why don't you start off with your pickup? All right, I'm going to jump in. Um, I know you have a differing opinion on this, but in my mm. mind, Asgard looked really sci-fi, and the way they handled the whole Asgardian stuff, uh, they sort of. 
pushed it in a sci-fi direction. See, I felt like it was more fantasy and like not magic, but it was slightly fantasy in that it did feel it wouldn't have felt out of place in say Lord of the Rings where like the el- high elves live or something like that. See, I, I felt the opposite. I felt like the design, especially compared to Thor Ragnarok, uh, felt very like it kind of looks fantasy-ish, but everything looks technology-based. Uh, they, Jane Foster says the line, uh, that great quote about how magic is this technology we don't understand yet, and um, and it, Dr. Eric Felveg says, oh no, not Dr. Eric Felveg, Darcy, Kat Dennings' character, says something about how if the Asgardians appeared to like primitive man, they might assume they're gods. Yeah. So they kind of don't really directly address the fact that he's a god as much as sort of these are just interdimensional beings who are highly advanced. That was the impression I got. Yeah, no, no, I got that impression as well, but I still felt like, you know, I mean, just because they've got, like, a healing bed that he... Like, the that healing room? That, like, that, yeah, getting to the healing room. I I mean, which we see in Thor Ragnarok. Is that in Thor Ragnarok? <clears throat> I think the so, yeah, when they heal Jane Foster because she's sick with... Uh... Ja- Thor Ragnarok? Jane Foster is... Sorry, not Thor Ragnarok, in Thor Dark... The Dark World, well, the Thor movies that everyone forgets exist. Yeah. No, and I mean, look, even, like, Odin, his bed that he sleeps in, like, you know, the, for the oh, Odin the sleep. fucking Odin sleep. That was... Oh, I forgot how stupid that was. That's part of the comics. But, yeah, but it was the biggest plot device. It was like, oh, we can't have Odin for this part of the film because he'll know what to do. I so know, suddenly he goes into the fucking Odin sleep. Um, yeah, no, look, I felt it was more... And I feel like Thor Ragnarok is more sci-fi than fantasy. I feel like Thor Ragnarok is more Kirkby... Um, and I feel like Thor, um, this Thor, and to some extent Dark World, is more Walter, Walter Simonson. See, I, I feel like this film was a, was a, um, a sci-fi film trying to be fantasy, and I feel like Thor Ragnarok was a fantasy film trying to be sci-fi. Because in Thor Ragnarok in particular, the parts where, um, you're seeing what's going back in Asgard, I just feel like a generic flat fantasy film to me whereas the Asgard bits in this film felt really exciting and I was genuinely interested in the setting in a way I haven't been in previous Thor films yeah well I feel like in I mean we'll talk more about Ragnarok when it comes around but I feel like for Ragnarok them being on Asgard wasn't a big thing like Asgard's yeah fairly small well because that whole film was about how even in parts of Asgard in Ragnarok it feels fantasy-ish where um, Heimdall is hiding everyone. Of course, but to me it feels bland fantasy. Like, I could stick that in just about any fantasy film and it wouldn't look out of place. Any D&D style. Yeah, it just didn't seem unique to me. Okay. Alright, do you want to hit us up with the next pickup? Um, Yeah, look, the Frost Giants. They're... (sighs) Shitty shitty villains, I reckon. Yeah, look, I mean, they're not the most... They felt like cannon fodder. Um, Lofi, 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 the yeah, Frost Giant King. The Frost Giant King didn't seem like that much of a threat. Not I mean, we all. didn't see much of the battle between um, Odin back in the day and the Frost Giants. Yeah, they tried to set them up as a threat, but they just felt like a sort of generic fantasy threat. There was nothing particularly original about yeah, them. Yeah, and you mentioned you felt like they just looked like White Walkers. Yeah, Laufey in particular looks very similar to like White Walkers. Like the dark blue skin, the bright eyes. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like someone sort of changed some of the colour palette for White Walkers. Okay. Um, Whereas, yeah, they just weren't interesting. Um, what did you think of the Destroyer? 
I really liked the Destroyer. I think yeah. the design held up. But yeah. they pretty much just used the comic book design. Yeah, the, it just looked a little bit taller. Like, I think in the... Pretty sure in the comic book, what it was is... It is inhabited inhabited by someone. Really? But, like, the life force of someone. And it's doing Odin's bidding, essentially. I liked... Uh, something I did notice is, was that the Destroyer was very toned. He had, like, a tight butt and, like, tight abs. Yeah. Like in terms of magical, you could pretty much destroy anything. Hey, or I, hey yeah, or... I feel like for like a a magical robotic automaton, he was pretty fuckable. It's gonna those horns. Wait, did he have horns? I thought they were like spikes. Spikes, it... but also like his helmet, like sort of weird, like oh, the weird V flaps. Thing? Yeah, I did love how flaps. the um, how the helmet like comes down mm-hmm. the front of the the flaps. Sorry, reveal themselves so that he can blast up. No, it's I think it's cold that. That area where he blasts. Wow, up. you've really taken my uh, my comment to heart, Billy. Really. <laughs> uh, do you have? Do you? Oh wait, it's my turn for a pickup. Yes, yeah? it is. How exciting! All right, I think I think the humor didn't hold up. Yes and no. Some oh. parts yes, um, other parts no. Like, I okay. The parts where you meant to laugh at Thor because he's a big dumb idiot. Well, it's fish out of water. Humor, fish, right? yeah, fish out of water humor. Like when he's like, I like this drink. Give me another. It's made me like, you're such a fuckwit. Yeah, like you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, it didn't like, but I guess I don't know that. Because that that uh, drink smashing one, I remember when that movie came out. Like in the cinema, that joke killed, and everyone quoted it for a while. But I feel like, ah, okay, all right, cool. It's yeah, it's a bit dated. Yeah. The uh, you know I did get a witch. Get me another. (laughs) You've just finished your coffee, have you? Yes. No wonder you're so peppy, Billy. Yes. Um, the one joke that did hold up, and this is because I'm a sucker for like stupid physical comedy, is when he gets hit by the car the second time. Yeah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> see, I like that. There's something very funny about like things that are mildly funny or not at all funny being repeated eventually become funny. And well, kept any mispronouncing the old name was funny as well. I still found that funny. You know what? I remember when yeah, I yeah. when I saw the movie, I really liked her character and thought her character added a lot to the film. This time in the film, I just found her annoying, and I just kind of wished that she wasn't in it. It's alright, you can be wrong, you know, we've, we've mentioned this <laughs> on the podcast. Um, you know, like, uh, uh, you know what, the other joke that somewhat uh, kind of hit for me was when he goes to the pet shop, and asks... I need a horse. Yeah, and they're like, we only have cats and dogs or birds, and he asks, then give me one big enough to ride. Like, that was funny-ish. But again, it's playing off the fact that he just has no idea how Earth works. Yeah, speaking of Thor being a fish out of water, I thought we could go on to... I mean, I know the film is based on him. I thought we could do a pick-up on Thor himself. How did you feel... What did you think of Thor and, I guess, Chris Hemsworth's portrayal of him? Because I think this was Chris Hemsworth's major breakout role. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it is. I don't... Okay, I... He was 25 when he first was tired of Thor for this. Oh, fuck. I'm 26 and work three days a week. That is not what I wanted to hear. Yeah, from what I can gather as well, um, he didn't He didn't initially get the role. He had to read for it a second time around. Interesting. I think physically he looks the role. Could, like, I mean, he's going to find a blonde hair, blue-eyed dude. But Yeah, well, apparently the call sheet for actors to sign up for Thor was people that fit the build. <laughs> and, you know, can act. 
I think Hemsworth slowly grows into the role of Thor. I don't necessarily think he's a great actor, but I think he's played Thor so many times that he kind of gets the character now. And I think Which a good director can really sort of play with him and bring him bring bring out his best side, like as uh, Taika Waititi did in Thor Ragnarok. Well, yeah, that's. I think that's another thing because, like, as the character grows with us with all the films. Chris Hemsworth is kind of growing into the role as well. Yeah, and admittedly, like, the Thor in this movie has a pretty straightforward arc. If he's an arrogant dick, he 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 has an experience that humbles him, and then he becomes a true hero. It's not a particularly complex arc, no. and the character isn't particularly complex at this point. No. What did you... I did notice, though, that um, they had the gratu- gratuitous... Uh, Topless scene of Thor, which yeah, you know was what? then carried out in every single Thor. You know film. what? Coming off Iron Man two, I was like, yeah, okay, good. Like, yeah. set the balancing other way, please. This yes. is this is fine. He's a he's a cut man. Yes, he is very cut. Um, and curious if he's anyway. Oh, oh, was that a, was that a, was that a circumcision question? Yes, given that we were talking about Hulk's penis, uh, whether Hulk we? was circumcised. Yeah. You know, side note, I had a discussion with with um with someone regarding Hulk, the Hulk's penis situation, and they agreed with you and what Adam is that Hulk always has a penis. Yeah. I just think it would be, just for logistics sake, better if it was just a Ken doll situation down there. It's not, look, that way Hulk doesn't have the weakness of the groin. Otherwise, why wouldn't every enemy of the Hulk just yeah. kick him in the groin? I mean, look, just to uh, put it back to Hulk, <laughs> to... Uh, to um, Thor, and get I feel like yeah, I feel like this one wasn't as blatantly obvious. Hey, here's a shirtless scene. I mean, he was just putting clothes on. Yeah, and I think in one of the scenes when like Jane's perving on him, it is trying to set up the the, the very forced chemistry between the two. Did, I just what did you think of the chemistry between the two? It was it's so forced. It felt like clearly for the story they and so he hadn't because his relationship with Jane is symbolic of his re- learning to be okay with earth mm. so he's she's sort of the personified uh embodiment of his bond to earth mm. so just functionally from a story perspective he has to fall in love with her but i just didn't genuinely believe that it was organic i could maybe buy at the end of the film that they'd become friends yeah but the fact that they were sort of lovers or whatever the kiss did feel forced by the end of very it. much so. i mean it could have been left to the next film exactly yeah especially given now that portman isn't coming back yeah. So J- the Jane Foster character is pretty much like. I wonder if that they'll make Sif the love interest for the next one. Sif isn't in the latest film. You mean Valkyrie? No, no, isn't. Well, I mean, I know Sif wasn't in this one, but she didn't die as well. So. That's true. Where all the other Warrior Three did get killed, I believe. Yes, they did. And that felt like a bit of a cop out, given how much of a role they play in this film. Yeah, but who knows? They might not have died. We don't know as yet. Uh, just uh, something I. I Speaking of Warrior 3, oh, there's a terrible moment where the Warrior 3 are walking through the town. Yeah. And two agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. make, like, jokes about, like, them looking like Xena the Warrior Princess and Jackie Chan and Robin Hood. Yeah. Oh, that joke was so cringeworthy. Yes. We got a Xena, we got a Robin Hood. And also, I'm pretty sure the Jackie Chan thing was, like, a bit racist, given that, given that, like, there's one Asian guy. Is it Hogan? I think think so. Hogan is, like, I think in the comics he's meant to be... He's meant to look more Mongolian. Okay, like, well, that, would ex- that would explain the like, more. Yeah, like his his outfit is kind of like Genghis Khan era. Yeah, because he doesn't at all resemble like Jackie Chan in any of Jackie Chan's roles, as I far know. as I can as yeah. far as I can remember. Um, onto the Warriors three. Um, the actor who played 
That's right. This the swashbuckling sword guy. Yes. He got he got replaced by Zachary Levi in the following film. Yes, because the actor that's playing him was. Um, Did he die, Billy? Uh, we're talking about Fandral. He was played by Joshua Dallas, and he was only made available. Like he only took the role up because I believe like five or ten, like between five or ten days before shooting. Five or ten days yeah, before the shooting? Ori- the, original oh. car- the original actor for it was Stuart Townsend. He, well, the, the actor that was signed up for it, Stuart Townsend, he bailed, citing creative differences. Interesting. Yeah, but um, Which is Zachary it? Levi mm-hmm. was initially, um, the only reason he didn't do it was because I think he was doing a show at the time and he couldn't get out of it. It would have been Chuck, I think. Yeah, it might have been Chuck and he couldn't get out of it. But then he does end up doing the role of um, Fandral for Ragnarok and, uh, and um, Dark, World Dark World because uh, Joshua Dallas can't make it because he was uh, starring in Once Upon a Time. TV Interesting. Show. Yeah. I find it funny that the original actor who played was going to play Fandral left citing creative differences. Fandral's not that big a fucking part. He just stabbed things. What yeah, creative differences could yeah, there have Joshua been? Joshua Dallas said, like, playing the role, like, for as long as he did, he sort of looked towards Errol Flynn-ish, which I can understand. Totally. Yeah, that sort of, like, happy-go-lucky swashbuckler, mm. jumping around, stabbing people. Yeah, whereas Volstagg's meant to be, like, you know, the Friar Tuck-ish. Yes, that's a good point. The... Is the actor Not for Volstag religious. the same? Yes, actor for Volstag and Hogan is still the same. Interesting. Yeah, the but actor who played Volstag is uh, Ray Stevenson and Tabun. I'm going to kill this. Tadanobu Asano plays Hogan. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And um, I, I like that Sif actually got a little bit of. Like with youth properly in this film, because in the other films from memory, she doesn't really get utilized. And I feel like in Ragnarok, she's almost been replaced by Valkyrie. Like, why can't we have both characters? Well, uh, I think the reasoning why is because she couldn't. She couldn't. Um, the actor in, couldn't. Yeah, the actor couldn't. Jamie Alexander, I believe. Yeah. So I, feel, I think rather than kill her off, they're just like you know, who knows? I mean, she does do missions for Asgard, as we've seen in previous cutscenes for films and stuff so who knows and I know she appeared in an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. exactly I think in season was it season 1 or 2 it might have been season 1 I think it was season 1 yeah alright do you have another pickup you want to jump to Billy um, I wanted to talk about Odin um, I thought Anthony um, Hopkins Anthony Hopkins is great as Odin Odin is an asshole. like I mean but he's always been an asshole. so it was like a great portrayal he's like he's like the strict dad but that's always an asshole because like I mean, at the end of the film, mm. Loki is holding on to Thor, and Thor is holding on to Odin, like, over yeah. the chasm, which is leading to, like, some sort of black hole. To, like, space or something. Yeah. Um, and look, for all intents and purposes, Loki was kind of doing it for Odin's love. All the shit that he was doing, kind of. I, see, I, I took it as not so much love, but he was hungrily after status. Yeah. Um, because he's worried his status was... As soon as he found out he's like um, from, he is from Jotunheim, he was worried that his status would be made worse. I, I, I get it, but the whole like, you know, Loki saying, I did it for you, and then Odin going, 
no Loki. Like, you could have said something more heartwarming, but no, I, I mean, it suits Odin. Odin is a dick. That no Loki, uh... And then he just, like, goes, was, like, fuck you. That no Loki line was so dragged out as well. Yeah. I feel like maybe it could have just, like, it didn't need to be so dramatic. But yeah, Anthony Hopkins said he, he feels like the character suits him because he's similar. Like, he's very much like, it's either my way or the highway type thing. Interesting. I'm genuinely surprised that they managed to get Anthony Hopkins for three films. Yeah. Uh, Who knows? He may have said no for any more films. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not much for Ragnarok. Yeah, he's not really in that movie much at all. Uh, A little bit in the third act, if we're a first act, if we're including the parts where Loki pretends to be him. Yeah. Um, Have you got another pickup? Look, I think that's all for me with pickups. Okay. Um, Shall we move on to um, to Stanwatch in that case? Uh, I wanted to talk about some of the uh, sort of cameos as well for this. Yes, alright, hit me So, up. I mean, we, we get to see S.H.I.E.L.D. in this again. Yes, uh, we get, of course, Coulson and the other uh, sort of named S.H.I.E.L.D. operative. Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye. He did... Oh, his cameo in this was so freaking stupid yeah, and wasted. He did nothing. He literally just went up in a small crane, stared with his bow at the ready, and didn't do anything. Yeah, it wasn't... It was whereas like you know compared to, say, um, uh, Black Widow's, it wasn't as good. Yeah, as like Black Widow actually did something in the film, whereas it was clear they just that was just sort of to move the plot forward. Yeah, and to kind of set it up for um, Avengers. You know what it reminded me of a bit Spider Man's appearance in um in the Civil War. It didn't need to happen, but they sort of just wanted to introduce people to the character. Okay. Alrighty. Um, yeah, look, I mean, look, I, I enjoyed it. I haven't got much pickups. Uh, do we want to quickly mention then the Donald Blake stuff? Uh, okay, yeah, if you we're want talking, to talk about that. We're talking about how in Thor's original sort of uh, conception of the character, he was sent to Earth and shared a body with a, with a doctor, Dr. Donald Blake. And in yes. this film, they sort of homage that by its hinted um, that Jane's ex, ex-boyfriend He's was... called Donald Blake. Donald Blake, uh, and she gives... Thor, one of his old shirts that still has like a name tag on it that says Dr. Donald Blake. And then later on, when Thor gets captured by S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Eric Spelvig claims that his name is Donald, Donald Blake, Blake and he's just uh, angry that his research has been taken. Mm. Um, so that sort of... I think that was sort of a nice way to homage that. Yeah. Without... Because uh, I'm not sure that that storyline of him sharing like a body with a person... Would have worked. Yeah, I think in this day and age it just wouldn't have been interesting. No. Um, on that note, uh, we'll probably take a short break and go to Stanwatch. And we're back with Stanwatch. So, did you see the Stan cameo? Oh, yes. Yeah, he's not, he's not a subtle man. He's an easy man to, uh, to I spot. Ha- yeah, look, I have noticed, like, other than... Like, I mean, I know you mentioned the Incredible Hulk one is, like, actual substantial to the story. But so far, like, all of them so far in the Marvel Cinematic Universe don't really... Too much. They usually they're usually just gags, and I'm yeah. finding as the movies go along, because people are so used to the cameos, they sort of like milk them and are making them longer. And mm. ne- and quite often in films now, he'll say stuff. Whereas yeah. here, like in this film, uh, he when Thor's hammer drops, all these rednecks gather around trying to take it. Yeah, none of them can pick it up. One guy tries to drag it in his truck, but yeah. it like it pulls the back, the back of the truck, truck off, and then Stan Lee pops out of the truck and is like, uh, looks destroyed. Yeah, but yeah. he doesn't actually say anything. Speaking of such, the first person to arrive and notice the hammer is J. Michael, like the person portraying is J. Michael Schus- 
Kropnitsky, who of course, is, yeah, is a writer on Thor. Um, he's also written, like, he was creator of Babylon 5. That's right. And also one of your other favourite shows, uh, Sensei. I don't know if you genuinely think I like Sensei or taking the piss because you know I don't like Sensei. I thought you did like Sensei. You know what? I didn't mind the first season, but I the postcard portrayals of different countries and different people from different walks were a little bit much to deal with. Okay. Like the fact that all of India is apparently part of a Bollywood film. Nice. nice. <laughs> well, not nice, but yeah. Um, yeah, um, there was another cameo, Walter Simonson. Is, really? Yeah. Where's he? So at the end of the film, when Thor and the rest of Asgard is like in a dining hall, yes. he's sitting there next to Sif. Interesting, because he drew a whole bunch of really sort of pivotal yeah. Thor stuff, didn't he? He was part of a pivotal run of Thor. He also created Better Ray Bill. Oh, did he do Beta Ray Bill? Yeah. Better Ray Bill. Better Ray Bill, Beta Ray Bill. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so, do we want to quickly talk about the after credit stinger? Yes, let's talk about that. So, this, this after credit stinger has uh, Eric Solvig walking around like a hallway... Um, Just a generic dark hallway. Yeah, which we learn is a place called Project Pegasus. I honestly didn't remember the name of it. I remember it. Again, Project Pegasus is like a very generic, uh, fake military, para, yes. like paramilitary. But um, it did. It is part of the Marvel universe and is for a long time in like I think the um, late seventies, eighties, and early nineties, like. It was the sort of area for a lot of storylines and stories. Like it's a it's a um, area that like you know investigates um, scientific stuff. A lot of villains were stored, like stored, <laughs> were um, like like imprisoned, there. imprisoned there, and as such. Um, but yeah, so that's we find out that Nick Fury was very appreciative of Eric Silvig's work. Because um, at the end of the film as well, it's implied that uh, that Jane Foster and her team get um, money from S.H.I.E.L.D. to continue doing their work. Yes, and Jane Foster's um, ideas have been recognised as well. I think the Foster theory it's called. About, <laughs> not subtle at all. Yeah, not subtle at all. Um, and so they... Um, like Fury shows Eric a briefcase and opens it up, and inside the cosmic cube. Yeah, inside is the cosmic cube, and um, it's pretty much look we'll investigate it. But the big reveal is that Loki is still alive and he's in the reflection of Eric, saying, you like know, telling Eric what to say. Yeah, or slightly influencing him. Do you reckon that? No, because Eric's not under the control of the Tesseract at that point. No. So, I feel like he's just slightly influencing Loki. Do you reckon? Loki is slightly influencing I wasn't sure if it was that or if Loki had taken on the form of Eric Svelvig because it's, it's established before that Loki can do like illusion magic. No, if you remember because in Avengers he in Avengers he gets teleported there. Oh, okay. So he's not back yet in Arlen no. at this point. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, that bit, I like that thing uh, I found particularly interesting because it really felt like the world is accelerating pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, they're really trying to pull you along and get you behind the bigger picture. Whereas a lot of the stingers now, like the Spider-Man Homecoming stingers, were just gags. Yeah, I'm surprised the spot. Like, that's the thing. A lot of the stingers, we mentioned in the previous episode, there's two. There's literally two. There's one that links the story to the next movie or, or the next, like, the next 
Marvel movie. Yes. And there'll be another stinger which will either be a gag or something irrelevant to the particular movie that you've just watched. Yes. But yeah, in this case, it was sort of very aggressive world expansion. And we had the same thing in um, the end of Iron Man 2 with the thought with the stinger that uh, linked to this film. Yes. So it still, kind of, it still kind of feels like at this point, even though they're doing well, I guess Avengers hasn't come out yet, so they don't really know what they're dealing with in terms yeah. of Marvel being an unsinkable, the Marvel films being an unsinkable success. Yeah, and also with that particular stinger, I don't know for sure if the trailers for Captain America at the time hinted that that the was... The Tesseract was involved? Yeah, the Cosmic Cube Tesseract was in that film. You know, the funny thing about the like the Cosmic Cube ending up with Fury at the end of the Stinger is it kind of makes the Captain America film feel a little bit more redundant because cause the Cosmic Cube plays such a large role in that film. Like, yeah. you kind of know it's where it's going to end up. I don't know. I don't I, know. I think you need it as part of the journey you to reckon? see how Cap gets there. Yeah, I mean, that's the same with the Wonder Woman film for the DC Universe. You need the Wonder Woman film. But, I mean, it was a great film. It was film. significantly better than any... Thing else DC has put out. Um, well, look, shall we shall we call it a wrap at this point, Billy? No, no, no. Let's talk. Oh, about, sorry. Yeah, Clearly, yes, I'm trying yes. to end prematurely. Yes, given that I'm the host, I will <laughs> just try to usurp your title. Yes, um, yours is next week. No, let's talk about um, if you like it, then read this. Of course. Yes. So, what uh, book do you want to talk about, Marvel or non-Marvel? So, do you, why don't I do my Marvel pick, then you do your Marvel pick, then I'll do my non-Marvel, you do your non-Marvel? Sure thing. Um, so, my Marvel pick is um, Jason Aaron's uh, Thor, the God of Thunder run. Now, he's been on Thor for ages, but mm-hmm. when he first came on the book, the book was called Thor, God of Thunder, and it kicked off with a really uh, great arc called The God Butcher, with yep. art by the wonderful Isad Ribic, and then followed on with a... Another arc which uh, sort of finished this whole God Butcher storyline are uh, called God Bomb. And it was Thor basically realising that there was this uh, guy called Gore, the God Butcher, going around killing gods um, and, and deities from different sort of pantheons across the universe. So, yeah, it's a really, it's a really cool sort of... I guess it has some sci-fi elements, but it feels for the most part, pretty fantasy, especially because they flip between different versions of Thor, sort of the current um, superhero Thor, then young young Thor before he gets Mjolnir and is running around with an axe, and he's sort of a Conan the Barbarian type, yeah. and then sort of old Thor when Thor's become the All-Father. And the three of them eventually interact, and it's, yeah, it's just a really great story, and I know that most uh, comic fans will consider... Jason Aaron's work on Thor, like the the sort of modern Thor run in many ways. Yes, um, my Marvel story that I want to mention is Thor: The Mighty Avenger by uh, Roger Langridge and Chris Samney. And ah, oh, Chris Samney's art is just divine. It's amazing, yeah. So it was a short-lived series. Um, it only went for about eight issues. Um, I'm pretty sure you can still get it. It's a collected edition. Um, and it just did like a fresh take on Thur's, Thor's yeah. Thor's, Thur's Thor's early years, like when he first um, was part of the Marvel Universe. Interesting. And my understanding was that that run was sort of criminally underrated when it came out, and why yeah. it got cut short. Um, I'm not sure why it got, why it wasn't as rated as much. It was like if anyone who anyone I've recommended it to has loved it. The funny thing is, though, I feel like. 
for ages, Chris Samney seemed to fly under the radar. Like, yeah. he's one of the best artists working in comics, and no one really knew it until he worked with Mark Wade, and then everyone realised, oh, fuck, this guy's amazing. Yes. And it, I think there's been a bit of a renaissance and a big appreciation for all his work. Yeah. It's so See, I good. feel like a lot of comic book people stick with like, who they know yeah. and don't venture out. Unlike, for sure. Like, I'm not saying we're, you and myself are better, but, like... We do. We well, do, we are better. Yes. Yeah. No, but we like you know me. Like I'll usually mention something you to check out. And do I know some... you? Can you truly know a person? Yes, These you are the can. big questions we won't be asking, answering here. Sorry. No, but uh, usually you mention stuff for me to check out, or I'll mention stuff for you to for you to yeah, check out. Yeah, totally. Well. well, and I think yeah, I'll definitely be keen to check out anything that uh, that someone whose recommendation I trust suggests. Yeah. If you think it'd be good. What other? Uh, if you like this, then read this. Is on your. So my non-superhero pick is Birthright from Image Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, so Birthright is written by Josh Williamson, and unfortunately for the life of me, I can't remember the artist, but the art is divine. And it's a sort of a, it's an urban fantasy story about this family. Their son runs off at the age of uh, ten; he disappears, and then about two years later, he comes back and he's this big, giant, hulking barbar- barbarian in his mid twenties, yeah. uh, who's been off in this fantasy world. Uh, so it definitely combines some of the fish-out-of-water elements of, elements of thought to it. And it's just a, a really great fantasy series. So my non-Marvel um, suggestion is Paul Pope's uh, Battling Boy. Um, now, it's a collected edition. I don't think it came out of singles. It's just like a... Because graphic... it came out straight as a graphic novel? Yeah, and it's about this boy who's been sent to Earth. Does he battle by any chance? Yes, he does. Um, but no, he's been sent to Earth... By his dad, who kind of looks like Thor-ish, a bit. You know what? Showing Christoph there. He look—he looks a bit like Thor mixed with Hardy Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Yes. He has like a weird, like Hawkman style hat. Yes. Um, Now I think like, um, uh, like so, um, Battling Boy gets sent to Earth um, to like you know, similar to Thor, like you know, prove yourself type thing. Okay, sort of like a fall from grace. Yeah, and I mean, the the world's hero is kind of like dead, and so battling boy who's about twelve years old, um, you know, tries well, the to, perfect age to be battling. I yes, assume. tries to fit the you know mold and try to save the earth type thing. In- interesting. It sounds like a mix of like yeah, superhero elements and sort of the more fantasy sort of idea of sending your son like a father sending a son down yeah and we like both battling seen. monsters and stuff like that interesting well much much like uh, Jesus who was sent to earth by God to yes. battle to battle yes. monsters it's almost like a, a a retelling of like Achilles and the twelve I think the twelve tasks that Hercules did or something oh yeah the, the, Hercules not Achilles, Achilles I was about to say yeah Achilles. interesting yeah the 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 heroic feats of Hercules where yeah. he had to like didn't he have to like mop out the stables of like the god's horses or something yeah and like kill like the hydra or something like I that I feel like those are like one of those tasks is significantly easier than the others yes but look let's wrap this up uh, easy so as always we're on iTunes yeah if you could rate and review us that would be great yeah and it helps people find the show yes um, so it's to infinity and beyond uh, we're also on Wooshka um, or you could check us out on geekoboz.com yep. or Facebook Geekoboz. And we're always up for feedback. We'd love to know what you think of the show and any ideas you might have to yes. improve it. Apart from podcasting naked, we've tried that and it didn't work. And you can always email us. Uh, it's either Christoph at geekoboz.com or yep. Billy at geekoboz.com.
See you next week. See ya.